0: Reading is um, in 2 Peter chapter 3, the last two verses, verses 17 and 18, and that's on page 1224 in the church Bibles. Did I say 1 Peter? 2 Peter. (laughs) 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Um, the reading was originally going to be one verse in Romans. It's two verses in Peter. So thank you, Rosemary. I doubled your workload this morning, but that's okay. Let's pray for a second. God of grace, we come to you again this morning. and we ask that you'd meet each one of us where we are. For we need you. Our souls long for you. Thank you that you know everything about us, and you long to lead us, to fill us, to guide us, and to shape our lives for your glory. Amen. This isn't quite what I was going to preach, but uh, this is where we're going this morning. So I'm literally just going to cover these two verses, but actually there's one particular phrase in those verses I want to look at. So I said at the beginning in doing that exercise about just reminding ourselves when we come and gather here on a Sunday, it's good to be reminded that everybody is in a different place, but all of us come to draw close to God. One of the privileges of being a pastor is that you get alongside people in all sorts of circumstances when you get beyond that cursory hello on a Sunday morning. You get beyond that opportunity just to say hi, but you find yourself for various reasons, sometimes in great celebrations, in weddings like we had recently, but also at times of funerals as well. And what you realize after a while is something that may in a sense seem obvious, but we often seem to forget, which is actually when it comes to it, people are the same. People are the same, they suffer, they struggle, they have the same um, makeup, but in different ways, wherever they come from. So we often may look and say, for example, people at Snow Hill, and think of them in one particular way. And then we think of people, say, at Royal Crescent, or some of the business people, or some of the people at school, or whatever it is, and think they're all so different. But it doesn't take long when you spend time with people to realize that the challenges that each one of us face are very similar. But they're just different too. The types of challenges, type of life, the type of culture is different too. You realize that people are struggling with the own expectations they have for their own life. They've had expectations about how their life should go, and it's not gone like that, and they're really struggling. They have expectations that maybe their parents' expectations, or other expectations that even when you're 80 or 90, you can find yourself living for your parents' expectation. What would my mum say? What would my dad say? And trying to live up to that standard. Or actually, the expectations of the culture we live in, both for good or for ill. You know, we watch telly, we see things on the internet, we talk to our friends, and we realize there's a whole series of expectations that come with us about how do we sit with this. There's fear, there's anxiety. We had an opportunity to share that. Each one of us will face those challenges about whether we're good enough. Are we good enough as a Christian? Are we good enough as a parent? Are we a good enough child of our parents? Are we a good friend? Are we a good worker? We're trying to live in this world that while the world is beautiful and we can look at the meteor showers, we recognize that there's also the groaning, that we have to face the consequences of some of the choices we make day by day. We have to face some of the consequences of choices other people make for us day by day. And we find that if we're not careful, our life is defined by our disappointments, our failures, and our fears and our hurts that are real, by the way. I'm not pretending they're not there, but they are real. That's something of the human experience. But, but, however, when we experience grace, When we experience at times unexplained, unexpected, generous, kind, genuine grace, it can feel like water in a desert. It can feel like the water has touched my life where I was absolutely dry and absolutely arid in my life. I wonder whether that's your experience? When was the last time you felt you could say you drank from pure, satisfying water? Christians use the word grace a lot. If you go to many churches, particularly some of the nonconformist churches, they have grace in their title. In fact, the vision of this church is still, as we're transitioning from what we, where we were before and assignment and that, to a new vision, but also we have in that vision that's still there, we're a home of grace in the heart of the city. A home of grace. Grace is at the heart of who we say we are as a community. Every generation um, in church history, different people try and recapture grace uh, within the church community, within the kind of Christian community. A number of years ago in the 1990s, very famously, there's a book about what's so amazing at grace, about grace reminding us of what grace looks like, what grace is, and not to get lost in some of the other things that we might be pursuing. A reading of the Bible is a story and account of grace. The Old Testament on one level can be seen as simply the ongoing story of mankind's rejection of God, but God's abundant grace in drawing them back to himself. The New Testament can be seen as a great defining moment of grace in the whole of human history. Or well, we can look at some of the characters in the Bible, some of the characters we love, some of the stories, of the, particularly in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, people who failed. But God, how did God, God deal with them? These characters received what they didn't get what they did deserve, which is mercy. But God dealt with them graciously and he gave them what they didn't deserve, which is grace. These characters encountered a God of grace who didn't punish them but gave them that of his goodness. So what's grace? Really simple, few little simple words about what grace is. Grace is God's favor towards us for those of us who don't deserve it. Grace is being let into a place where you don't deserve to go to, for example. What Christianity, what distinguished Christianity from other religions is God's grace. God's grace is the essence of the good news that we get to share with others of Jesus Christ, the free gift that's offered to us of salvation. The passage you've got in front of you, those two little verses, was written generally agreed that it was written by Peter. about 30 or so years, there's arguments about that after Jesus' death. But go back to when we assume this written, the 30 years, from when these two verses were written. Remember 30 years ago from when this book was written. It was a dark, it was a stormy, it was a wild night. And this person who wrote this story, Simon Peter, was talking to the person that he loved the most in the whole world. And that person said this to him. He said, Peter, my friend, I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified soon. In that moment when I'm most vulnerable, when I'm about to die, you are going to chicken out. You are going to deny me. At my moment of greatest need, what did Simon say to that? When Jesus said that to Simon, "Never, Lord. Never, Lord. Never. Couldn't be. Can't believe that. That can't be right," said Simon Peter. Jesus replied, "Simon, Simon, you still don't get it, do you? I've tried, been trying to teach you in the time we've spent together while I've been here on the earth." How treacherous the human heart is and can be. Simon, you will deny me. You will fall, Simon. You will fall. And what's so interesting about that account is at the very end of this letter of Simon Peter's, the same word shows up. The St. Peter uses this very same word that Jesus used on that dark night that dark, stormy night in talking to Peter. Peter says in verse 17, I don't want you to be carried away by the errors and fall from your secure position. That's the way this translation translates the same word that Jesus used on that night when Simon didn't believe he had betrayed Jesus. That's translated your secure position. What Peter is actually saying in this letter to these Christians is this. I don't want you to fall from a place of strength, he's saying to these Christians. I want you to remain strong and to stay strong. Peter is drawing on his own failure before Jesus and using that to ensure that these early Christians don't make the same mistake that he made. I don't want you. To fall from that place of strength of being a follower of Jesus. And then what does it say after he says that? But grow in grace. But grow in grace. And what a little difference one word can make in Scripture, that little word, but. Peter doesn't say uh, don't fall from grace and and sorry, don't fall from strength and grow in grace. He says, Don't fall from strength, but grow in grace. And do you see what that means for us this morning? It means that the way we avoid falling and in our Christian lives is to grow in grace. Don't do this, but do this, says Peter. Don't do this, but do this, says Peter. That's the idea. That's the thrust of what Peter's getting at. He's saying not to fall in your Christian life means that you need to grow. There are lots of different ways of describing that, of this. But some years ago, uh, someone put it, a Christian pastor put it this way. He said this. He said, a minister, in the middle of the night, he was sleeping and he heard a bump in the room of one of his children, his little daughter's bedroom next door. And he ran upstairs and he ran into her bedroom and he saw this little daughter had fallen onto the floor. And he said, how did you fall out to his little daughter? She said it was simple. I just stayed too close to where I got in. Peter is saying Christian growth is an absolute necessity or you will fall. There's a sense in which these little three words, to grow in grace, are a summary of what it is to live for God, to live the Christian life, to grow in grace. We're just going to take a quick look at that little phrase this morning, grow in grace. Firstly, Christians grow. The word grow means that the Christian life is dynamic. It's not static. It means to live a Christian life is to nurture and develop this new life that's been planted within you. In fact, the last verse here in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, says growing grace assumes that what he said at the very beginning of the letters that he wrote wrote here in 2 Peter 1, verse 4, which he says this. It says, through these... He has given us these very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. So 2 Peter 1 verse 4. 2 Peter 1 is saying that we participate in the divine nature. We participate in the divine nature. When Peter says grow, he assumes that you have the divine nature living within you that God has made his home in your life. The word grows, grow assumes that there's been a planting, there's been a germination, there's been a new birth, there's been an inception of new life. This may seem to you incredibly obvious, but for many of us, we can miss it all at all at the same time. When you read the New Testament, one of the things when we see some of the tough things that are written in the New Testament. One of the things we can see when people are told to be honest, to be courageous, to go to those dark places like maybe you heard through Joe's story, to love your enemies, to be generous even beyond what you think you're capable of. When you read scripture, you think, my goodness, the bar is so high. What it assumes is, it always assumes, is that people have been born again that they have participated in the divine nature. The Book of 2 Peter assumes the same thing. Nurture the new life that is within you. The reason this is so important is this. Growing grace, on the one hand, is very different from saying, be good. One of the difficulties with those who say be good is often what you hear people when they talk and say, what does it mean to be a Christian? They say, well, all we need to do to be a good Christian is we just need to follow the model of Jesus. I mean, look what Jesus did, look what he said, and if we do that, then we'll be a good Christian, surely. But actually, the difficulty of that is this. It's not possible to do what Jesus did. It's an impossible task to love like Jesus did. It's an impossible task to bring peace like Jesus did. It's an impossible task to do all those things that Jesus did, unless the same power that was in Jesus is the same power that dwells within us, the same person that dwells within us. The Bible knows throughout the Scripture, if you read the Bible carefully, you'll realize the Bible doesn't assume that you can do it all, but what it does assume is that there's been a new birth. We've taken on the divine nature within ourselves so that we can live a life of love. We can live a life of strength. We can live a life of, me- of wisdom. Without God, all those things are not possible. And if you do take that view about just being good, one of the things you'll find is, is that your Christian life is full of guilt and shame. You know, I ought to try harder you know, I could do so much better with my reading my Bible. I could, do, I could feed the poor more. I could give more money to, to good causes. I could be nicer to my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my brother's wife or my sister or my boss or my work colleagues. I could, I ought, I could be nicer. I ought to be nicer. I ought to share my faith for. We li- constantly live with that I ought to, I ought to, I ought to. The Bible doesn't set the, the bar lower. But the Bible talks about having the nature of God dwell within us. He has given us new life and new birth. We are partakers, as Peter would say, of the divine nature. You have to be born again to grow. If something is going to grow biologically, it has to be planted and it has to germinate. If you're going to grow physically, you have to be physically born. If you're going to grow spiritually... You have to be spiritually born. What I'm trying to say this morning is this, and to remind us again this morning is this, is that growth in grace is entirely dependent on God's nature dwelling within you. So let me ask you this this morning. My my first challenge to you this morning is this. Do you have that new life? Do you have that nature, God's nature, making its home within you? Have you received the gift of new life? Have you asked Jesus into your life and surrendered your life to him? Christians grow, is what Peter is saying here. Christians are called to maturity, to Christ-likeness. I wonder, I wonder when we think about having got to that place of decision, we think, well, what about all this stuff in my life? What about the bitternesses? the wrong attitudes, the fears, the stuff that consume us, the resentments, the things that have gone wrong, the things that have been done to us wrong, the things that are in many ways that are at war with our soul. Have I surrendered those to God? Have I made peace with God with those so that we're at peace with God ourselves and then enables us to bring peace to others too? Or are those things eating up your life? When it says grand grace, it's because God makes his home within us. God's nature is holy and powerful. And for all those challenges each one of us face, some of it may not be ours. It, it, you know, Disease comes to people. Sickness comes to people. People do bad things to us. That's what it means to live in the real world. People will treat us badly, do things badly. But we have a God who is beyond and powerful, more powerful than any of the disease, the broken, the fallenness, that comes against us. But God is so holy and so beautiful and so powerful that it enables us to, to overcome those things as we give them to him. Any place that's crooked, he can make straight. Anything that's broken, he can heal. So one of the challenges of that, to, to both to me as I was preparing this and one of the reasons I picked this passage for me this morning, as well as maybe for us, is this, if that is true, if what I'm saying is true, is this, are you settling for too little in your Christian life this morning? Are you settling for too little? The person who may may be sat there and says, well this, you know, I've I've given my life to Jesus, that's all I need to know, but I'm not going to change. Can I just say that you're not being humble, or you're not being modest, but you are insulting the one who's made his home within you, Growth in grace means growth is possible. It really challenges us when we get stuck in our Christian lives. Think, Lord, I can't change yet. We need to surrender our lives afresh to him. Being a Christian is not just a status symbol. It's not just a state. We're called to grow. I will change. What Being a Christian means you will change. God's grace for us today isn't God's grace always for the future for the different challenges we'll make. And it takes time, it takes a lifetime of walking with God to grow in grace. So sometimes we need to be patient with each other, to bear with one another as we grow in grace together. Then secondly, I want to say Christians grow graciously. Not only do Christians grow, but they grow graciously. And this is uh, really important. And when it says, grow in grace... One of the things that there's a number of ways you can go about growing one of which is you can grow in a very intentional way you can place your will on something or you can understand that there's also an organic dynamic to growth in grace what do i mean by that it means that dynamic in our life is grace look at it this way those of you who know your bibles quite well some of you will know your bibles really well actually can seem a little bit confusing at first when you read the bible And you see this word grace and you think, well, it seems to be saying two different things. One of you will realize that sometimes when we use the word grace, we realize that nothing changes about grace. Grace doesn't increase, grace doesn't decrease, grace stays the same. But it also uses place like here, but also like in Hebrews 4, where it talks about growing in grace or approaching the throne of grace for more grace. One of the things about being a Christian is this. Firstly, is the word grace always means God's unmerited favor for us. God's extravagant, unbounding, generous love for us. Undeserved, extravagant, generous, freely given to us as a gift this morning. No human being here this morning, unless you want to come to me afterwards and tell me afterwards, no human being is so good that they don't need grace. But no human being is so bad that they can't find grace this morning. No human being is too good not to need grace. No human being is too bad not to be worthy of grace. And to be a Christian and to understand God's grace recognizes that God's grace, the initiative, is with God. It starts with God, about who he is. Who God is and all He's done for us. God has broken in. God has done something momentous, and it changes everything. It's not about us. Um, a few months ago, when we, um, when we uh, had a service here, one of the things when I was chatting to the family is that they were t- the saying to Margaret's family, they were talking about that one of her favourite pieces of music was Les Miserables. And there's a a wonderful illustration in the film and the play of, and the book of Les Miserables. In the beginning of the play, here you have the character, Jean Valjean. He's a criminal. He's a criminal and now he's an ex-convict. And he's taken, this, this man is taken into the bishop's house. And when the bishop goes out of his house, Jean Valjean steals all his valuables and he runs away with the valuables from the bishop's house. The police catch him. And then they bring him back to him. And they throw him down in front of the bishop with all the goods. And we, they say to the bishop, we ha- we've caught this criminal. We've caught this criminal with all these goods. And he's there looking, looking miserable and in front of him in court. But the bishop looks at him and says, that's not true. I gave him all those things. By the way, my dear friend, you forgot something. The bishop goes and grabs the candlesticks from um, and then he puts them into the hands of this person, Jean Valjean. He says, don't forget, I gave you the candlesticks too. God's grace is radical and it's shocking. God's grace means that God sent his son Jesus to die for us, to rise again for us, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus did everything we needed to do. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He took the punishment for your and I, my sins, so that we could be united with God and welcomed into God's presence for eternity. And this morning, if you believe in him, If you've put your trust in Him, if you've accepted that free gift of life that He offers this morning, God completely accepts us. It's undeserving, it's unmerited, but it's how His grace comes to us. What that means for us this morning is two things. And for even for those of us who are Christians who may have known this minute, remind yourself what it means is if you've done that, if you've committed your way, it means that all your sins have been pardoned, that legally. You've been set free this morning. You are free. You live as a free person. Legally, you're blameless because of what Jesus has done for you. And personally, if you said yes to Jesus, it means that he's adopted you into his family. Though at one point you would describe yourself as an alien of God, a stranger of God, uh, a foreigner to God. But now, he's adopted you into his own family You're a son or you're a daughter, but you're more than that. You're an heir and a co-heir with God. Legally, the cross of Jesus and the gift of Jesus means that we are pardoned, we're set free. Personally, he's adopted us. We're part of his family. It's why we can say we're a son or a daughter. He completely and utterly welcomes us in. Those are both legal statuses, and that's what the cross, the message of Jesus, and the heart of Jesus, when we talk about the heart of Jesus, it's a wonderful thing. But what you'll realize about that is that once you've adopted somebody, or once you've um, uh, legally pardoned somebody, you can't then do it again, or go on to it. You're either adopted or you're not, you're either pardoned or you're not. But so when we come to places like Hebrews 4, where it says, go to the throne of grace for more grace, grace is also increasing. And here's why. What happens is, once you've done that, accepted Christ into your life, your status is free and a member of God's family. But then what happens is, the influence of that decision, the influence of that event, the influence of that status, starts to flood throughout your life. It starts to flood all throughout every area of your life in increasing ways, that the power of that change in your life becomes the engine that brings change to your own life. All of us can grow in busyness. We can do more and more things, but that does not mean that we grow in grace. All of us can do all sorts of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily mean we grow in grace. We won't grow from the inside unless our inside has been dealt with once and for all. Many of you will know more than I do, but there are certain types of food you just can't take a bite of. They're actually so sweet that they actually electrify your mouth. You take something that's so stunning and so beautiful that it actually electrifies your whole mouth. And grace, in many ways, is the same thing. If you tasted grace, to experience grace, it electrifies your whole life that then changes it all around. It's grace and only grace that leads to genuine change of character. It means that real patience, real kindness, real self-control grow in our lives. There's a behavioral change where we grow wiser and deeper like God. So this week, as you put yourself in a position to actually receive God's grace, make time for God, whether you spend time in Scripture, or you pray, or you meet together, or you serve together, or you give for various things, make time to receive the ongoing grace that means you grow in grace in, in your life, your daily walk with God. Some of us are, including myself and the temptation for me, is the same too, is that we can become very, very busy and actually our lives become growing like a pile of stones where we've got more and more things in front of us. But actually, are we growing more like Christ? Are we maturing like God has called us to. Growth is possible. Growth is gradual. Growth actually always, in a Christian sense, is a work of grace. So we open ourselves to the God of grace. Taste his grace afresh this morning and allow him to grow it in your life. In Jesus' name, amen.